0: Ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special guest today. I'm excited to have a conversation with longtime friend, first time together in an environment like this, John Acuff is here. He's a New York Times bestselling author, a motivational speaker. He is the author of six books, Finish, Do Over, Start, Quitter, and Stuff Christians Like. And he's here today in part because he's got a new book coming out called Soundtracks, that is now available for pre-order and will be released in April of this year. He's a fantastic speaker where, in front of hundreds of thousands of humans, he has motivated them with his unique blend of humor, honesty, and hope. He is also currently spearheading his YouTube channel revamp in a launch that includes a new podcast called All It Takes is a Goal. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the Rise Together podcast, John Acuff. What would the world look like if we all pushed ourselves to have candid conversations with people who didn't look like us, think like us, or live like us? I'm Dave Hollis, and I'm on a mission to learn more about this world by meeting more of the people who live here. You may not always agree with everything you hear, but I guarantee you'll come away more informed on topics you might never have thought to seek out before. This isn't just a podcast, it's a community. And when we raise each other up, we all rise, together.
1: That was a great intro. That was, I like a lower bar, Dave. I'm going to be honest with you. I like a real low bar where somebody goes, eh, he's all right. He owns a lot of sweaters. Um, he's got a pretty simple look that'll make you feel comfortable and accessible. And then I step over that bar. So that was a great intro. High bar.
0: That was, those were my words, though. I don't even know where I found those words. But uh, for people who aren't familiar with you, the work that you do, the why that you have for bringing your light to this world... In your own words, tell us uh, and the listeners a little bit about who you are and why you're here.
1: Yeah, I would say I'm a goal nerd. I think that a goal is the fastest path between where you are today and where you want to be tomorrow. And we don't have a convention like Comic-Con, but if we did, I'm imagining there'd be a lot of Type-A people in the gym at 4 a.m., drinking enough water, running their miles. But, yeah, so I'm a big believer in the ability for somebody to change their life. Um I've experienced it myself in my own life, and I've had the, a front-row seat to a lot of life change. I, my job's amazing, and that I get to see people change their life. And so that's what I like to do. I live outside of Nashville, Tennessee with my wife and two teenage daughters. And so that's kind of a quick snippet. I write books, and then I go speak at companies about those books. That's what I do all year in a normal year. One of those got put on pause last year. And so, yeah, I'm like a lot of people that are probably listening. I've I've had to pivot in some creative ways. Yeah,
0: haven't we all? It's... Uh, been an interesting year. I think there's actually hopefully going to be some things that we learned to do in the pivot that actually end up sticking with us as a new normal ends up returning. Is there anything in your world? I know we like work in kind of unconventional spaces, but is there anything that this last year has introduced that you had to do for the first time that you, now that you have done it, know that it's a thing you'll just keep on doing as soon as the world returns?
1: Well, yeah, uh, my podcast. So I did a podcast about two or three years ago that failed tremendously. Congratulations! Because I, I went in with my ego and was like, "I'm John Acuff. I've written New York Times bestseller's book. Everybody says podcasting is easy." And I was, I like quarter did it. I didn't even have to it, and it failed tremendously and sounded terribly. And like I regret the guests that came on because like the questions I asked were like, "So your name is Brian, huh? That's cool. I know a lot of Brian's." And so this year I really had to buckle down and go, okay, with public speaking on pause, I'm doing a ton of virtual events, but how do I add that to the way I communicate ideas with people? So that's been one that I'll, I'll do that going forward. And then just like, I think one of the things is going on walks with friends. I'm like, I think walking had a huge 2020 I think it was super hot in 2020 and I've got a friend named Ben that we go on a walk every week and kind of talk through life. And so little things like that, where I learned that how much I needed community when it was denied me, I don't want to let that go.
0: That's good. That's good. I need a walking buddy. I've got a, I've got a buddy neighbor, Brady, who's coming up to the house for morning workouts. And that as much as it's like great to have an accountability partner it's also become Somewhat of therapy, because every single morning, right, as much as we're going to work out for 30, 40 minutes, we're also catching up on everything that's happening and raising kids and handling change and all the rest. I I agree with the man community and connection is such a commodity that every single person is desperately in need of. And now that it has been deprived us the work that it takes to deliberately and intentionally fight to create it ends up actually being something of a gift because man, I found it in some ways that I didn't ever actually know that I needed it before.
1: Yeah, I I, I always tell people like, uh, crisis forces you to grow in ways you wouldn't have grown on purpose, you know, and so it invites you to, it, it, it's, a, it's an invitation innovation with, I mean, just using Ben as example, I've learned in the last year to be able to say, hey, um, I'm sad, I'm scared, I need like, I didn't even know I had access to those words until like two years ago. And Ben, like an example, Ben and I were on a walk and he said, Hey, what's been going on? I said, well, there's this opportunity that I missed. Um, And it was a big opportunity. And so I feel sad about that. I feel scared that it'll be the last opportunity I ever had. I feel dumb that I didn't nail it. And I think everybody else could have. And he said, he asked me two questions and he said, what would you have had more of if you had said yes to that opportunity? And I thought that was a good question. But then he said, would you have gone deeper into your ego or deeper into your heart if you had gotten that opportunity? Ooh. And I didn't it, I didn't have to think about that for a second. I said, I would have gone deeper into my ego. And he said, well, then that makes me sad because I don't think he would have valued our relationship in these walks and I would have missed out on this. And I don't get that gift unless I create a space where he can put that gift. And so learning to go like, yeah, like this thing online, like – this person was really successful at this opportunity that I missed and it hurt my feelings. And here's why I'm feeling, you know, insecure about it. And then he can speak truth and joy and love into it. Learning to do that has been really game changing for me in the last 18 months.
0: In the beginning of my divorce, my pastor started sending me this text every day, same exact 11 words. What small piece of sadness can I hold for you today? Like, yeah, exactly. Holy cow. And here's the thing. Like yeah. I, One, uh, was blown away just by the consistency because it was like a warm blanket that was necessary in a hard time. But also, it was an invitation to step into a space that I would not have necessarily felt vulnerable enough to walk into and by opening up and sharing every day, hey, here's something I didn't expect in this process that is harder than I thought it might be. It had, it just was this cathartic, beautiful thing that made me feel less alone in the journey, but that simple thing, right? The questions your friend is asking now, by the way, this, you know, a year into the process, we've transitioned into, Hey man, what's going on? You know, like what's on your heart today? Is there something that's, you know, happening that you want to talk about? And he's become this person that I have somewhat a consistent running buddy relationship with where We'll just we'll run and talk for an hour and it's the same, same kind of thing. I love it. It's so beautiful. One of the things I love about the work that you do, whether it's in your books, in the internet space, I'm excited to dive into and and have everyone enjoy your podcast is the way that you're able to, as I said in the intro, kind of blend humor like you're taking it somewhat lightly but seriously. And there's a hopefulness always tied into every single thing you do, right? And in a world where We can be convinced that there is no reason to be hopeful, that it's easier to see the challenge than the opportunity that might exist from the challenge. I think there's something beautiful about you doing that. Have you just always been someone who's been that way or is that something that's kind of been groomed over time?
1: I've had to work at it. You know, I tend to lean pretty sarcastic. I can, I think it's good to be, I think I heard somebody say, it's good to be a skeptic. It's bad to be cynical. And so I have to work at it. I always tell people fear comes free. Faith takes work. The negative thought will find you. You have to go out and search the positive. And so even doing the research for this book, one of the stories that I thought was fascinating so at NYU, they did a study a few years ago where they brought college students in two groups of college students. And they said, we want you to make sentences out of this word bank, give a bunch of words, make some sentences. The other group, they said the same thing too, but that was the test group. And inside that group of words were words related to being old. Words like Florida and bald and retired. And then they said, now that you're done, walk to the other end of the hall um, to take the second part of the test. And the scientists secretly studied them as they walked. The people who had been exposed to the old words physically walked slower. So just bumping into the words changed their physical behavior. And so the deeper I went into kind of understanding overthinking in my new book, the more I realized The words I engage in, the conversations I engage in, the thoughts that I allow to be put on repeat have a tangible, physical reaction in my actions, which turn into my results. And so, no, I would say I work hard at it. I think there are some people that are naturally positive. I would say I'm the opposite. We're like, I have to deliberately go, okay, I see that crazy, petty, sarcastic thing that bubbled up. I'm not going to let that one shape the day. I got this other one that I'm going to play instead. And I might have to play it like five times, but I'm going to play it. So yeah, it's not, I wouldn't say it's something that comes, humor comes naturally to me because I grew up with it. And that was a currency in our family. So I love communicating that way. But positivity is something I work out.
0: Yeah. I saw somebody post something yesterday, day before of a quote of yours, which was about this crazy culture that exists in the faceless comments that people can throw into the internet, uh, usually, uh, in, in, regard to things that are critical of other human beings. And, uh, your quote was, if you want to be kind, you know, if, if you want to understand how to operate in the, in the internet, you can do two things. The first thing is be kind to people that, you know, and the second thing is be kind to people that you don't know. I butchered the quote, but the basic conceit is like, you know, even if you feel triggered, even if you feel some kind of response It's on us as individuals to make the deliberate intentional choice to not allow that negativity to then come forth in what we're doing and reacting to people on the internet or how we're saying the things that maybe come into our head, creating some kind of a filter that might actually afford us to reach for light, reach for positivity instead of maybe even like also giving people
1: the benefit of the doubt. But it's Well, that's the thing, though. The internet flattens people. And so it takes individuals and turns them into ideas. So when you're successful, when you and your ex-wife are successful, you now become an idea. And people have an easy time throwing a rock at an idea. They don't have an easy time throwing a rock at a neighbor. And so that's the problem. They, you know, you're now a 2D person and it's easy for me to criticize a 2D person. Like our relationship will be different after this interaction. Like I'll now go like, oh man, like I've, I got to hear a piece of his heart. Like we got to look at each other on a video. Like even that makes us more 3D. And so I think that's part of the challenge of the internet. Um, And the other thing I'd say is you never feel better after the lie of that attack is that this will make me feel better. This will distract me from the thing I'm really sad about, which is somebody broke up with me. I lost my job, whatever. You like That's the lie. But the truth is you never feel better after. And the, the, the flip side of that is I always feel better having encouraged somebody. I always walk away and I feel better going, hey, there's a thing I see in you that you might not see in yourself, but I wanted to point it out. I know it's random. I, I made a goal one, one month to encourage one person every day. And they were just text messages. And I never got a single person that responded and said, hey, stop it. Stop in, stop encouraging me on a Tuesday. They all said I was going through something you didn't even know about. Thank you. And so, yeah, I, I mean, it, it benefits other people, but it also benefits you too. This is book seven, book eight, whatever it is. It's a lot of books. Yeah. Whatever sounds better. What, this could be book 40. If honestly. You just, just speak it the truth or whatever it is they say. How,
0: how did, what's the genesis of book writing for you? How did you get into this as a biz? And, and is this like, The calling of your heart. I mean, it feels like it is because the work I've I've been, God, people are sick of me saying this, but I've been really focused in this last year of trying to connect with this idea that we are all here for a reason. There was very deliberate design in how we were created, and honoring the intention of our creator is a thing that we each have an opportunity to do. The work that you do feels like very much the honoring of the intention that was put on you by the creator, but I'm curious. Is this something that you, when you were young, thought, you know, what, when I get older, I'm going to write books? Or did it just kind of fall into being?
1: Well, I, I had a teacher that encouraged me um, a lot. I had a third grade teacher, Mrs. Harris at Doyon Elementary School in Ipswich, Massachusetts. Our mascot was the fighting clams, which you want to talk about a terrifying animal. Like if a clam is coming at you, you have at best three weeks to get out of the way. It's a very, <laughs> it's a very fast advance. So she was super kind, really believed in me. But now I would say that it was really, um, I felt stuck in my career and stuck in my life and started to share ideas online and started to realize there was other people like me. I wasn't alone. And then uh, an event planner asked me to come speak in an event. And I didn't have any evidence that that was, I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't know you got paid. I didn't, but I said, I think I can do this. And so I had this thought. Um, and then I I backed up that thought with what I call overwhelming action where I was like, okay, I'm going to act on it. I'm going to act on it. There's going to be highs and lows. And you know, people go like, when do you feel like you arrived? I don't think you have, like if you want to stay humble, do a book signing. Cause you think it's going to be like a chip and Joanna experience constantly. And it's often straight, like, Barnes and Noble announcing over the microphone, John Acuff, who is a human, apparently, is in the corner by the magazines. And then people come over and grab your life's work and go, I don't know, $11 for your heart's work feels a little extreme, feels a little expensive. So I've always, you know, through that, I kind of kept pushing, kept pushing. With this particular book, I always look for three things when I try to create something. I go, is there a personal passion? Am I deeply connected to the content? Because I'm going to talk about it for years. You're going to talk about it for years when you create something. Second thing is, do people need it? Are there other people that actually need it? And third, is there's a—is there a spot for me in the marketplace? Because even if you go, I see a need and there's a spot in the marketplace, but you're not personally connected to it, you just created a new day job. Like you just built yourself a new day job. And so for me, I am somebody who overthinks. I learned some, some techniques that I thought were helpful I asked 10,000 people, this PhD that I work with, he and I asked 10,000 people if they struggle with overthinking, 99.5% of them raised their hand. And that was before 2020. Like 2020 was catnip for overthinking. Like everything is a thing. Like I went to shake somebody's hand the other day where they went to shake my hand and I thought, should I give them an elbow bump? Should I do them a fist bump? What if I just say, no, is that rude? Which is ruder if I then dip my whole arm into a vat of hand sanitizer and go, excuse me, sir, I'm just washing off the deadly global pandemic you just try to murder me with. Oh, is this a political thing? or other people shaking hands? Like, dude, two years ago, do you know what I thought about when I went to shake somebody's hand? Oh, I'll shake their hand. And so now everything's a thing. And so that's, that's kind of where it started was my exploration. But I try to write books for the me I used to be. So I'm in a parking lot. I don't want to go into my job. I feel really stuck. I feel like I don't have somebody to talk to and I want to go, Oh, 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 there's, there's things you can do. Like there's slingshots all over the place that you can slingshot yourself into a new situation. Like, let's talk about that. And let's talk about it vulnerably about the mistakes, the wins, the everything. So
0: cool. I love that. I mean, the, the heart for service is, I mean, to me where, so much of your fulfillment will come from. But if you don't have the passion, it's, I love the, it's just signing up for another day job line. Cause it's so true. Well,
1: dude, like I know, like I know on my end, let me, let's just talk, honestly, like I'm sitting and I'm like, Dave's had a level of book success I haven't had. I bet by that level, you, all your problems are solved. Like once you, like everything's easy and every And like, I know intellectually that's not true, but it's easy to overthink and go, okay, once this, And so if you make the next thing, the thing, you're always chasing the next thing. And so like the other thing is like, dude, I'll spend years writing a book and my favorite moment is when I get to hold the finished product. Like it shows up at my house and I'm like, this is a real thing. That's only happened seven times in 45 years. So I better find some joy in the process because like that's not a good return. Seven days, seven really five minute segments in 45 years of life. Like I better find some joy in serving people and doing the research and doing podcasts where I get to talk honestly with people and meet new, you know, connect. And so, yeah, I think you have to constantly kind of stay connected to what you're doing that
0: way. Yeah. So this next one's called soundtracks, as you say, all about overthinking you just represented 99 and a half percent of 10,000 humans said that they overthink. Why? Like why do, do, is it just a design of humanity that unfortunately exists or is there a reason or is it something that because of the way that the world has changed in recent times is now a phenomenon that didn't exist before? It feels like overthinking has always been around.
1: I think it's always been around. Um, I think it's amplified by social media and things like that. Like the way I used to say it is like, we've always thought the grass is green on the other side. Just now we have access to 10 million backyards. Like Mm -hmm. my mother in the 1980s, could only compare her motherhood to five other moms in her cul-de-sac in Ipswich, Massachusetts. Now every mother listening to this can compare themselves to every mother in every part of the world in 30 seconds because of social media. So I think it's added fuel to the fire, but I just think a big part of it is we were never taught to think most people don't understand. They get to choose how they think and what they think. The average person thinks a thought is something they have, not something they hone. Like even my most type a friends who lay out their clothes the night before because they know it'll means they'll go to the gym never pick their thoughts out they never say i've got a big meeting coming up on thursday and here's the three thoughts the repetitive soundtracks i want playing in that meeting or wow i got taken advantage of in a business situation 10 years ago and it's still a soundtrack i hear when i enter into new conversations i need to change that one i need to come up with a new one because it's damaging my ability to have great business meetings and so i just think part of the reason we overthink is no one ever taught us how to think and once you discover that it's like this entire world opens up and you go this has got to be too good to be true and and i'm here to tell you and the thousands of people i work with on the book like no it's not like it's it's even better than that yeah
0: it's my you know my last book was very much these 20 lies that i was telling myself the limiting beliefs that were keeping me from nope. my best version of self the stories i believed and these soundtracks are those right these are the stories nope. that we've believed are are the soundtracks things that have come as a result of programming from our childhood or experiences that we've had that we haven't been able to assign positive attribution to like what is what's where do the soundtracks come from
1: I think they can originate from a variety of sources I mean I think in the same way that a new one can come from a million places too that's what's so fun about it it can be a question like It can, you know, it can be a statement. It can be just do it. It can be a song lyric. So on the flip side, from a negative perspective, I think it can be something a parent said. I I think it can be an off comment. You know, I work with uh, leaders that will say, well, I'm not a, a natural leader. And what they mean is when they were in college, a professor said, you're not a great leader. And they chose to believe that. And then the problem is every time you replay one of these negative thoughts, it's like putting another handle on it. So, by that time, like if you every time you listen to it, you're making it easier to pick up the next time. So, these soundtracks can fire off instantly because you've put all these handles on them. And so, yeah, I think they can come from probably 50 places, 100 different places. And depending on where they came from, often defines the strength. So, if it was somebody in power who you really love and have a connection to, I think that could be a really strong negative soundtrack. If it was an offhand comment from a stranger, you can still struggle with that but you can probably lay that one down aside easier than you can something a parent, a spouse, a friend said to you. Yeah,
0: so my process in trying to create 20 things that got in my way was to really connect to times when I felt unfulfilled, had shame, didn't feel like I was showing up as well as I'd hoped to for my family or for my working teams. And I'm curious because you can't fix something that's broken if you don't know what it is that you have to fix. Do you have some surefire ways that people can, if they have broken soundtracks, know how to recognize them? Like what's the, what's the Sure. I'll give you
1: a really simple way. This is a super simple way. So think about something you want to do. Call it a desire, call it a want, call it whatever. You know, I want to ask for a raise. I want to ask somebody out on a date. I want to move to Austin. I want, you know, think of something you want to do and then listen to the reaction. Listen to the first reaction. Cause I like to say every reaction is an education. So when you write down, I want to write a book, what comes up? Is it, I'm not qualified. The book's already been written by smarter people. Who am I to write a book? Those are all indications of broken soundtracks. And so then when you find one, when you do that, you ask it three questions. You say, is it true? Is this statement true? Is it helpful? Does it move me forward or pull me back? And the last one is, is it kind? Is it kind to myself to tell myself that? And if you can't say yes to those questions, it might be one that it's time for you to retire. But yeah, when you bump into a desire or take the time to write down a desire, listen to the first soundtrack that plays because that's a great indication of, okay, I do have a broken soundtrack that's standing in the way of me and a thing I want to do.
0: The three R's of overthinking. What are the three R's of
1: overthinking? Well, so I just hit the first one, but the three R's, I like, to, I like to simplify things that are complicated. Thinking is such a fuzzy, it can go holistic, like there's a lot of candles involved and goat yoga. I'm like, whoa, 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 let me give you some practical things you can do. The goal of the book isn't to give you new thoughts. The goal of the book is to teach you how to think so that new actions come and new results come. So the three R's are, You have to retire your broken soundtracks. Okay, hey, these are in the way. You have to replace them with new ones that you get to write, that you get to create. And then you have to repeat them so often they become as automatic as the old ones. That last step is important because sometimes, Dave, we'll take a brand new doe-eyed baby face soundtrack. I want to believe this thing about myself. And we'll put it up against some broken soundtrack that's been lifting weights in the prison jail yard for like five years and is really strong. Well, it didn't work. It's the same way with diets. When somebody goes... My diet didn't work. I go, how long you been doing? They'll say 12 days. And I go, how long did it take you to gain the weight? And they say 12 years. And I'll say, well, that's really unfair to yourself. You only, you gave yourself 12 years to gain it and 12 days to lose it. Like what if we expect, Extended the timeline? Like, what if it wasn't overnight? And so, those are the three R's you got to retire them, you got to replace them, and you got to repeat them.
0: Love. So good. And so, and so hard. I mean, like, I don't, I love how yeah, yeah, right? exactly. it's so simple, but like, just because it's simple yeah. doesn't make, make it easy, you know? And so, like, giving yourself some grace as you go through it is also going to be yeah, a big Dave, part of it. In
1: all the research, we never found somebody that overthought compliments. There wasn't a single person that said, the thing I overthink is like, I'm such a good mom. It's just really an issue. I overthink that I'm such a good mom constantly. It's getting in the way. Like, I overthink I'm a good dad, overthink I'm a good CEO. Like, no one is overthinking compliments. Like, if anything, you pause them, they go, yeah, you're right. I do. Like, I do beat myself up about that. Or you're right. Like, I was five minutes late in the car rider pickup line, and I ignored all the good stuff I'd done that day. And they'll say, I'm the worst mom. And I always go, you're not. It was Hitler's mom. Like, we know the answer to that one. I can tell you that one's not true. It's definitely going to be Hitler's mom. I mean, I feel like pretty safe about that bet.
0: (laughs) If there were soundtracks that have, because of the craziness of this last year, introduced Is there, like, I'm assuming that because of the unprecedented times that we find ourselves inside of, that, of course, there's going to be new things that we start to believe. And the danger is, of course, this is a short-term challenge that will ultimately leave us. God bless you. Please go. But those soundtracks may, in fact, stick and stay. So how do you, if you're a family, if you're, you know, someone who's going through something with unemployment or food scarcity or any of the things that come up that, Did not exist before 2020 came in and this pandemic showed up. How do you stay present with not believing the things that are short term so that they don't become long term challenges?
1: Well, I think sometimes it's as simple as a word change and then believing in that word change. So I'll give you an example. A woman asked me, hey, how do I get over imposter syndrome? She said, how do I get over imposter syndrome? And I said, I think you trade out the word over for through because over is a word of perfectionism as if you climb over one wall and then you're done with it. But through admits I'm going to go through it. I've written seven books, New York, some of them, New York Times bestsellers. I still feel like not a real writer some days. Like I do, like I go through it. So if somebody said to me, how do I get over the negativity of the last year? I'd say, well, let's talk about how we go through it. Cause that way you give yourself grace that I'm going to have to process some things. I'm going to have to learn some things. It's going to take some time. One soundtrack I've given people this year is I think people should say, this is my first global pandemic. This is my first one. Like, why am I not good at it? It's my first one. Like, nobody listening right now, if I said, how many global pandemics have you gone through? would go, it's like the 10th, so I'm kind of an expert. We're all amateurs. We're all amateurs. And so when you realize that, like, I meet people that'll go, I'm terrible at virtual school. And I'll say, you should be. You've never done it. Like, you're probably terrible at hang gliding too. You've never done that. So sometimes just being able to go, This is, I'm sorry, this is my first global pandemic. I've never done this. Like this is all, it all feels very new to me because it's new. And so I think that's, and then the the thing I'd say, like another soundtrack I, I encourage people on is fear gets a voice, not a vote. It gets a voice, not a vote. I don't believe when people say you can become fearless because I think every time you do something new or different or bigger, there's a level of fear. The first time I spoke to 10 people, I was terrified, but I worked through that. But then I spoke to 10,000 and I had 10,000 person fear. So I think we always have fear. It always has a voice, but it doesn't get a vote. It doesn't get to sit at the table, at the head of the table and go, you don't get to do that. You don't get to start a podcast. You don't get to write a book or a business or whatever. So I try to tell people fear gets a voice, not a vote listen to it, explore it, but don't give it a vote. Yeah. And so I think things like that can help us as we kind of grow out of this season.
0: So good. I, I actually, in a, w- in a way that is a departure from how I'd been for most of my adult life, have in this last year just invited my feelings to really sit at the table, not at the head, but actually just sit at the table. And I, I've named some of them, which is a very bizarre thing, but like, Actually, no, that's good. In, that's in, totally right. Like, in, in, it, like, it, it, Hey, this is an investigation. I'm an investigative reporter. I want to understand what fear do you, what, what are your, what are your plans here? Why, why have you presented yourself just to try and understand it and honor it in a way that might have it provide me with some information. And then once I've satisfied understanding it and honoring it, it might also afford it the possibility of going away. But I, I know that fear is going to be a constant in my life. If I don't experience fear, to be honest, I tend to worry that I've become comfortable and I'm not pushing myself into spaces where I can grow. But sitting with-
1: Well, you also don't get self-awareness without exploring your fear. Oh, yeah. Like you're, you're, you're ignoring one of the greatest teachers as if you don't need that teacher. And so for me, yeah, I learned to say, okay, let me pick one out. Okay, wow. I have a fear. I have a broken soundtrack that tells me you'll never get it all done today. You'll never get all done today. And so I finally stopped and was like, well, well, I think maybe what if you just have a really good lust for life? Like there's so many things you want to do and that can turn into fear if I don't address it. But if I do address it, I can actually go, wow, that's part of like, I do, I love what I get to do. Like you love what you get to do. And so that can sometimes turn into a, my, my to-do list is too big, but if I'll stop and go, and it was funny, I felt like I had this conversation with fear where it's like we had coffee. And it was like, oh, I thought you were going to be way meaner to me and beat me up. And I was like, why would you think that? And it was like, well, the subtitle of one of your books is Punch Fear in the Face. So I, I think that was why I thought you'd be a tra- I was like, ah, that's true. I did write that book. You know what? I can understand your hesitation to have a conversation. So yeah, I that exploration, I think, is so healthy. I mean, a, a book that's helped me a ton is uh, Chip Dodd's The Voice of the Heart, uh, D-O-D-D, like that book has been amazing to me and about like exploring your feelings in a in a really practical way, um, not in a kind of like go off on a vision quest and you know talk to like, I don't know, a coyote.
0: Yeah, in, like in a world where I have many people representing their not being able to totally identify their passion, their why, their calling. And the thing I think I've found more than anything in my own life is that until I started playing in spaces that I was afraid of, testing some of the curiosities that existed in my life, I wasn't able to actually understand that, oh wow, some of my passion was actually hiding on the other side of this fence that was my fear. And so part of why charging toward and and not like dismissing it and actually do some of the hard work to confront your fear is that you might on the other side of dealing with it Find something that you have a ton of passion for, for having done something new.
1: And you don't have to do it alone. You're not meant to do it alone. Like, we're not meant to dream alone. We're not meant to parent alone. We're not, you know. And so that gets back to that sense of community where other people can invite you into things you might not invite yourself. They can see things in you you might not see yourself. I, You know, I personally believe 100% self-awareness is impossible. We need other people that can go, hey, you're so close to the painting, you can't tell what it is, but I'm a few steps back and it's a sunset. Like I need you to see it's a sunset. So I think, yeah, community is part of that too about like, it sounds scary when you try to do it alone, but I really feel like when you can link arms with people um, and it doesn't have to be a hundred people. Sometimes where I talk about community, people push back and go, but I don't have 50 best friends, me either. Like, I don't, I mean, like they have to be safe people. They have to be wholehearted people. They have to be people that love you enough to tell you the truth. And that's a, when you start to put those qualities on, it's a short list. So don't hear this pressure of like, you just got to go like, tell the person at Starbucks your deepest secrets. Like, that's not what I'm saying, but start to build that short list. Yeah.
0: If we have a lot of people here in this community that are family, uh, you know, have kids, If if they're were a thing that you would identify as a sign that a family needs a new soundtrack? Are there a couple of things that you say, oh, these are the things that I've typically seen when it comes to soundtracks inside of the family unit?
1: That's what's funny about soundtracks. Every company has them. Uh, Company culture is just a group of soundtracks people are listening to at the same time. A family has them, a couple has them. So you know, I'll give you an example from my own life. I started to travel some with my job. I was a corporate copywriter for years. And then I got to do this, this job where I was writing and speaking. And so my travel quadrupled quintupled and I felt terrible about it. And so when I'd leave, I'd go, I'm so sorry, kids, I'll be home in four sleeps. And I would do this, like, like heart wrenching goodbye. And my wife finally pulled me aside and said, Hey, the kids don't know to be sad, but you feel guilty. So you're asking them to hold your guilt. So when you leave, we just want you to go do your job, go have fun doing it. Like you're teaching them to be sad and that the brain does mirror neurons. So your kids pick up on your emotions. And so I was wrecking them every time I left as if I was leaving for Mars versus the DFW Marriott for two days, you know? And so that changed the way I business travel. So, Hey, this is my job. And the crazy thing is When you do that to your kids, you teach them for 18 years that work sucks. And then we're surprised a college grad doesn't want to get a job. You spend 18 years telling your kids work is miserable. It takes you away from family. It's the worst. It's the devil. And then you go, it's so weird that they're dragging their feet getting a job. It's not. You train them exactly that way. So for me, a little thing like that where I go, I love my job. I love my family. When I'm home, I'm home. When I'm traveling, I'm doing my best to support the client, you know, work You know, work as hard as I can. And then when we get to go do fun things, when we're at Disney World, when we're at Jackson Hole, wherever we go, when we're buying clothes, we go, remember when dad went to Baltimore for, for two nights? Like that's connected to this. It's all connected. And so being deliberate about like work is good and work that you feel connected to on a heart level is great. And we're going to be a family that sees work that way. Another one that my daughter taught us, in high school band, she's in the high school band. You compete for chairs, so it's arranged like chair one, chair two, chair down to chair twelve. Chair one's the best, and you can challenge the chair that's ahead of you. And so she started to challenge the chairs ahead of you because she wanted to get better at trumpet. And this kid said to her, "Oh, what are you one of those tryhards?" And she and he meant it as an insult. And she was like, "Yeah, I am a tryhard." And he forfeited, and she just kept climbing the ranks. And so our family—that's one of our phrases—was our soundtrack is, "Yeah, we're we're tryhards. Like we try hard. Like even if we're gonna fall down." We try hard because we want to. We want to give what we've got, and so yeah, I, that's what I would say is just listen to them and then make them aspirational. Like, you know, what do you want your family to be? What do you, you know, where do you want them to go emotionally?
0: It, I, this story just triggered a chapter that I've just uh, written for this book I've just turned in about this question that Rachel got that I never got, which was, what will this do to your children as in this like pursuit of your dreams and doing this yep. work that requires this travel. That's
1: a, that's a real loaded question. Right? Gosh. Okay. Cause they already have like, to even ask that question you're putting on, there's, there's some stuff you're putting on. You've thing. represented
0: that you have bought into this patriarchal design that, you know, a woman who has ambition, or follows her dreams, or tries to bring the light that was put inside of her to the world, cannot, in any way, possibly, be also a good mother or good, you know, partner. Yeah,
1: you should just say like, "How soon will your kids deal heroin?" That's what that question is. <laughs> like, just be, ask an honest question. That question is so passive aggressive. Yeah.
0: So, like, if anyone's listening, I just want to, I want to throw this out to the universe. Like, you know, the 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 thing I would yell from stages was you're asking the question the wrong way because what will this do to our children, right? My three sons will never one day question if a woman has as much right to be a number one New York times, bestseller back to back, be the CEO of a company stand on stages in front of thousands. They will just know that that's part of what women can do. And for my daughter, she will never once question the capability that she has or the, the audacity of her own dreams because she will have had modeled and. on. The home that she's being raised in, someone who believes in it, follows it. So I don't know. It's like that is a soundtrack that, oh, what will they say and mommy guilts and the other people in how ETA. will they survive? How, yeah.
1: What will they tell a counselor in their 20s? Those are
0: those are stories. Those are soundtracks that if you if you give them weight, then yes, you can seed your dreams to keeping other people happy or, or, or keeping some kind of societal thing intact. Or you can challenge it and feel full. I think there's a, a, an ability to do the latter. You in the book talk about a new anthem, the new anthem. Uh, will you tell us a little bit about that and how often you recommend doing it?
1: Yeah, so I didn't even wanna explore positive thinking. Like again, I can be super skeptical. I grew up with Serenity now and Seinfeld, they're like sare Live, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, I'm and doggone it, people like me. But I kept talking to people, like successful people I admired, leaders that I admired, And if you get them off camera, get them off microphone and you go, hey, what do you think about positive thinking? They go, I got a pep talk I give myself or I got a mantra. I got some declarations. I was like, dang it. I'm going to have to explore this. So I started to. so the first thing I did was I went to kind of the source Zig Ziglar, who's one of the godfathers of motivational theory in our country. I got to have uh, lunch with he and his wife and son years and years ago before he passed away. And so I practice his affirmations in the morning and at night. And you feel ridiculous. Like my wife said, don't do it in the mirror in our bathroom. Go to the guest bathroom because I want to be able to make out with you eventually. And this is not helping. And so like, don't like, don't hear me as like this Pollyanna, like, hey. So I tried it and it was so helpful. And I was like, okay. And now I'm, I'm a writer. So I wanted to write my own. So I wrote my own, which I called the new anthem. And then we had more than a thousand people practice it in the morning and at night. I mean, it was simple statements like "momentum is messy" um, because sometimes we think momentum is going to be clean and easy. Or "I'm the CEO of me and I'm the best boss" because you re you know instead of beating yourself up, you go, "What would the best boss do in this moment?" And so the people that practiced it more than the people that didn't lowered their overthinking, lowered their self doubt, increased their productivity. And so it was really fun to have some some research around that. I mean, don't get me wrong, we didn't you know, have any electrodes or like, I'm not, I didn't have any beakers involved, but we essentially said to more than a thousand people, it was a 10,000 person pool. We, I think we got good answers from like 1400 people, but Hey, did it help? And it ended up helping. So now I'm a, a believer in that. And again, like a reluctant, but it was so, it was such a fun exploration. And you as an author know this, the book you start to write is never the book you end up writing. Like a good book takes you places that you probably, you couldn't have possibly seen at the start of the journey. And I think if you're willing to go to those places, you get a better book at the end.
0: Absolutely. 100% agree. There was this story I heard of you being an opener for Dolly Parton. Is this true?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that was a... I got that opportunity the way most people get opportunities like that through um, my dentist. Oh, yeah. Um, obviously, that's the path to Dolly Parton. So, yeah, my I've got this dentist who I love um, in Nashville, and I've done a bunch of events with him. And he was like, hey, I've got this charity for my son who passed away. Would you think about speaking? At? And I was like, totally. He's like, it's at the Ryman, which is like the mother church of country music. And he's like, and Dolly Parton will be one of the people. And I was like, what? I immediately got full body sweat. And it was um, it was amazing. It was such a good moment. It was ten. It was two ten minute segments of comedy. So pure comedy, and it was just really fun. And she was amazing and so kind. And it felt like this full circle moment because I just remembered in two thousand eight that first person asked me to speak. And all I had was a thought, I think I can do this. And I'm backstage, and I'm trying not to sweat through my blazer. And I got there like four hours early, like, because I was, I didn't want to be late. I mean, like, so. and there's no green room for the comedian. So I just paced backstage, like a caged animal, just like trying to not amp myself up too much. And I just remember like, no, I've got soundtracks. Like, I'm going to go out and do it. And somebody asked me later, they're like, did you ever think you'd do that? And the truth is I did. Like, maybe not that exact situation, but all I had was the thought. Like I always had the thought I had to turn it into other stuff, but yes, it was, it was just a a blast. It was so much fun. And I, you know, I'd do it again in a heartbeat. I now like I posted on Instagram that we are best friends now and that she sends me telegrams. Like I wrote the most ridiculous post, and people were like, wow, that's really cool. And I was like, Oh, she doesn't telegram me about the bald eagle. She owns like, you ever try to do something so obviously sarcastic and it still misses? Yep. you like, ah, eh, it's the internet. What are you going to do? What are you going to
0: do? I think there's something powerful in what you just said, though, in that if you can throw out to the universe that you have the belief in the audacious and the big, the dreamy, the whatever, it doesn't mean that it's necessarily going to happen. But if you don't, it's not.
1: Right. Oh, and stuff will happen. Like, that's the thing. Like I couldn't have failed that opening for Dolly. Cause I didn't know that exact moment. All I knew was, I'm going to do this thing. And I'm going to see what shape it takes. And every time another door gets open, I'm going to step through that. And I'm going to go beyond my current ability, beyond my current comfort zone, beyond everything I've set up as like, this is what I'm capable of, because it's the only way. And then I'm going to get to laugh about it on the other side and go like, I can't believe I just did that. Like, that's ridiculous. Like what? And so yeah, I, you know, I just think, I I feel like I'm barely getting started. I think there's so many fears and I'm like, well, there's one, there's one, there's one. Okay. We're going to work on that. Like, oh, okay. I need to be a better CEO. Okay. I I have a hard time saying I'm a CEO the same way some people say I'm a writer. Like they can't say they're a writer because they don't feel like a real writer. All right. Well, I got to deal with that. And so, yeah, I don't, I feel like I'm just getting started.
0: The book is out in April. What's the date of the book coming out? April April 6th. April 6th is when Soundtracks comes out. If someone were to pick it up and read it, what is the thing that you would hope that they might expect in terms
1: of changes in their life? I think they're going to be surprised how many lies they've been listening to themselves about themselves. Um, and I would, I think they're going to be amazed at what happens when you change the story you tell yourself about yourself because it's the story you'll hear more than any other story you're ever told. Cause it's the story you tell yourself every day, every week, every month, all year. So I think that's going to be, I think that's going to be really fun to see people, bump into that. And then I think they're going to find some really tactical, actionable things they can do where they can say, well, I can change and here's here's actions to do that. I think, I think that, and then I think they're going to laugh a ton. I think there's going to be a, a number of ridiculous stories where they're like, did you really do that? And I promise you, everything I talk about in the book, I a hundred percent
0: love, love. Tell me about the podcast too. All it takes is a goal. That's a new thing yep. for you. How many episodes in are you?
1: Uh like maybe a dozen or All so. Right. I love talking about goals. And so I realized, okay, I want to, I'm a goal nerd. I want to talk about that. And I want to, you know, invite other people to talk about that. So it's a chance for me to find people I'm really fascinated by, but also do one-off lessons where I go, Hey, here's how to build resilience. Resilience is directly tied to purpose. So the bigger your purpose, the bigger your resilience. Here's the soundtrack for you who are you doing this difficult job for? Like, who are you doing this difficult job? And I, you know, I asked a room full of hospital CEOs, who are you doing this difficult job for? Because their job, they don't get to say two sentences. You and I get to say, it's not life or death. It's not brain surgery. It is, it's both those things. And a CEO told me, you know, I do this job for the donor walk. I said, what's that? And she said, well, every time somebody donates an organ, the doctors, the nurses, the administrators, the executives line the hall and we cheers their wheel to mm. surgery. She said, that's the donor walk. I do this job for that. And so I can get a 15, 20 minute fast, similar to what today was like, share that idea and go, and here's a way to build resilience. Not just as like, an abstract topic but let's talk tactical resilience what does it look like for you on a tuesday that wasn't easy to build a little bit more resilience in your life what does that you know what does that look like so that's what the podcast is about love that
0: all right if people are not yet following you if they want more information on all the goodness that you are putting into this world where are you on the interwebs where do you have a website what is what, what are the details
1: yeah, um, it's acuff.me. My last name is acuff.me is my website. And then on Instagram, I'm John Acuff, J-O-N, no, no H, J-O-N, A-C-U-F-F. Twitter, John Acuff. YouTube, I think I'm author John Acuff. So usually if you, you can trust Google to get you there. I'm all over the similar similar places that you're probably all over too. Awesome. All right. On this, the
0: Rise Together podcast, we close things every episode by asking our guests to share one key takeaway with our audience. It can be an idea, a question, an actionable piece of advice. What is the one thing that you will leave our listeners with today?
1: I would say this. Heads run, hearts walk. The next time you feel discouraged that you know something intellectually but your heart hasn't accepted it yet, say that soundtrack. Heads run, hearts walk. It takes a little longer for your heart to get places your head might already be.
0: So good. Don Acuff, you're the man. This is the beginning. This is, this is the beginning is of us having conversations like this, my right? man. I am here for yeah, this. Yeah, this is
1: fun. Uh, there's you know, this was feels like I was like, I'd give this dude my cell phone, not Google Voice. That's always that that's that's always real like this person feels stabby. Let me give them the Google Voice number. Nah,
0: you can give me the old digits on the actual in-your-pocket cell phone. We could we could road trip and we wouldn't murder each other. I want
1: to send you texts and say, Hey, what's going on today? What do you need to carry? That's fun. This is good. I think I knew you asked me at the beginning what you know. What are my expectations? And I was like, I think we're gonna dig each other. Yeah. So that was my that was the sense I got before we did this. So, so good. I I'm, I'm so glad we got to one do it. One of the
0: coolest things about this podcast, honestly, is that I end up getting to have people on the show that I feel like I've already known for years and years of time because of the insanity that is social media and everything else. And then these kind of conversations actually end up every time beginning something that goes way deeper and gets me more connected to really rad people, and you're one. So Thanks, man. Appreciate you being here today.
1: Thanks, dude. I appreciate you doing it.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, if you enjoyed this episode and how in the world could you not have, please do us a favor. Both John and I are asking for this. Take a picture of this podcast on the device you're listening to it on. Put it up in your Instagram or uh, Facebook stories. Tag the both of us so that we can thank you for supporting the show. Tell all your friends one amazing thing that you learned about the soundtracks running in your life. And between now and then, Take John's words to heart. Remember that the head runs, the heart walks. We'll see you next week on the Rise Together podcast. Rise Together is hosted by me, Dave Hollis. This show is produced by Chelsea Harfouch and edited by Andrew Weller with production support by Sterling Coates. Cameron Berkman is our executive producer. Rise Together is a product of the Hollis Company.